Welcome to State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Our guest today is Max Centeni, founder of River to River Community Records. Max and I discuss his musical background, what was behind him creating River to River Community Records, and the albums released so far, as well as a couple of upcoming albums to be expected from his label. Max, thanks for joining us today. For sure. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So you have started uh, River to River Community Records. That's right. And uh, and then you also started a kind of creative community online through a Facebook group, uh, River to River Creative Community. Is that what it's called? That's right. Yep. And... All of this is really intriguing to me as far as a way to cultivate the arts in Southern Illinois. So let's start with a little bit of your background. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your presence in the music industry. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born and raised here in Southern Illinois. Grew up in uh, DeSoto, I guess. But um, also kind of grew up in Carbondale. Went to high school in Carbondale and everything else. And I've been playing music in Carbondale since I was in high school, so since I was 14 or 15. Been playing in multiple, like mostly punk rock bands, kind of punk and metal stuff, and even some weird noise and experimental stuff. So I was always, you know, I was always inspired by the sort of DIY music community that we had in this kind of small corner of the world here in Carbondale and beyond, all through Southern Illinois, really. Um, so, I mean, that's where I cut my teeth was playing in basements in Carbondale, places like the Lost Cross and the Swamp and the Ski House and all of these kind of staples of the DIY music scene there in Seadale. Um, and also the dive bars around that would host, uh, weird or loud music like punk stuff and experimental stuff. Like PKs or boobies. We used to have a lot of shows of boobies when that was there on the strip. Um, and Hanger and the rest of it, you know. But uh, So, I mean, that's where I fell in love with music was doing that sort of underground punk stuff um, around Southern Illinois. And, uh, you know. I'm, I'm going to say that's a little bit surprising looking at you today. Yeah. Because you don't necessarily strike me as a you know, hardcore punk musician at this point. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's um I guess it's been a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a progression to get to that. But um I don't know. Ultimately, I mean since since I was young, I've always been a music fan and always just a fan of music in general and its sort of possibilities and and uh you know, sort of what can music do and how many different sort of emotions and feelings can it uh can it pull out of a human being you know and that's you know the noisy punk rock stuff certainly finds a different emotion than um you know chill banjo music or a lot of the stuff that i play today but i've always been very interested in exploring that spectrum you know um because Music is is uh, an amazing art form in that way. That um, it's a very visceral art form that can take on just so many different forms. You know? Well, I think what you're saying right now is 
is so key to to what you're saying about your progression of your music is the emotion and the angst of punk rock is so appropriate to how so many of us feel as teenagers. Sure. Uh, and so, so appropriate for that time. Yeah. In your life. But also I think I leaned towards it um, back then because it was so accessible and uh, a pretty easy music form to, to, um, to, to create and to embody. You just got to learn that power chord and then you can move it anywhere on the neck and you don't even have to know what notes you're playing, but you just kind of go by feel, you know, and that's the same with, I mean, that's kind of what I love about drums too, but, but that's why I lean towards punk rock and, uh, and, you know, the same could be said about the, the shows that we were booking, you know, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was people with that sort of DIY ethos that wanted to have shows they didn't necessarily know how to be a music promoter or how to book a venue they just wanted to have music in their house you know and have a good time so that punk rock ethos is what I was kind of raised on in my musical career or whatever and it stuck with me um but I I guess I have gravitated to more maybe marketable music forms or however you want to say it but um, that I still love making that punk rock stuff. You know, I still am doing recording projects where I'm recording the noisy experimental stuff because it'll always be a, a part of me. You know, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I came up playing the punk stuff, and I went to school at SIU for a couple years doing uh, audio production because I knew that I wanted to be in the music world professionally as a career in some way so I went to SIU doing audio production for a couple years before I uh kind of started to have that anxiety about all of the student loans that I was stacking up and about um I guess being stuck with that career path you know if I had that degree well, then do I, is the office going to just be my studio? Is the studio just going to feel like an office job where I have to do these gigs to make the money to pay for my student loans and stuff? I started to have these kind of feelings, which maybe, you know, were warranted, maybe not, maybe a little bit of both. But um, either way, I dropped out of school and decided to just pursue performing music um, a little more seriously, which was easier when I wasn't um, doing classes and wasn't committing all of this money to to learning how to produce music because I was I was kind of teaching myself how to do that stuff anyway in my little home studio and not to say that there's no uh, value in getting a, a degree in that of course there is and there's amazing teachers and professors in the SIU music program but uh or the uh, audio production program, that is. And I'm sure that being part of that program for the time that you were laid a great foundation for what you're doing now. Well, absolutely, it did, yeah. Um, but uh, shortly after that, I um, shortly after I dropped out, I was in a limbo where I was figuring out, like, okay, well, how do I make this work if I want to do music professionally? How do I approach that? Because that's something that, we never really focused on in the DIY punk scene. You know, in fact, we maybe 
rejected it, right? We weren't, we didn't want to be sellouts or mm-hmm. anything, uh, you know. So, so it was something I didn't know much about. But I got a pretty rare opportunity to work for um, the Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. And it was essentially a, a, a mutual friend, a friend of mine that was a good friend of the Big Damn Band. The band had reached out to him um, to see if he would want to uh, be crew for their band, be their guitar tech. And he couldn't do it because he is getting married and having kids and settling down. But he referred him to me as a person who'd been playing music most of my life and on and off stages, um, I could probably handle it. So I got that gig being the guitar tech for Rev Payton's big damn band. This was probably 2000, this was 2013 when I started doing that. And, uh, this kind of opened up the world of kind of professional music performing and touring. So that was your something. first taste of the the real commercial music industry. Yeah, exactly. And uh you know, it opened up my eyes for sure. Um and just and it was just a unique way to see the world and gain a lot of perspective about um life in general and 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 uh the world. We've toured all over to Europe and New Zealand and Australia and all over the place. So but uh so I did that gig for a few years, being the guitar tech, kind of roadie for the big damn band, until their uh, their drummer at the time um, retired, and then I, t- I picked up the drumsticks, and they hired me as the drummer. So I've been drumming for the big damn band since uh, 2016, I guess, now. And uh, it's... Approximately how many gigs, how many bookings do you guys... How many dates do you guys do a year with Reverend Peyton and the Big Damn Band? Um, it's somewhere around, well, 150 shows probably. We're on the road for over 200 days a year. Um, and it used to be a lot more, but every year is a little bit less, hopefully, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we stay pretty busy. I mean, we tour and let, pretty constantly. Let's be clear, you're, not, you're not asking for... For the band to make less money. No, right. I mean... You're, the, you're looking for more quality dates. Yeah, that would be still, the idea. Yeah. The idea, Because, I mean, touring is is uh, is work, you know. I mean, it, at first it seems like a uh, sort of a, the ideal, sort of glorious situation for a musician to be in. You're touring the world, but it's a lot of work. And um, so, I mean, ideally we would be... And it's a Be- lot of long days that people don't understand, especially for a drummer. Yeah. Um, you've got a lot more gear to set up and tune up and, and get ready than everybody else. Exactly. And it's starting early in the morning with the long drive and then getting there for sound check, loading in. And yeah, the day's not done until well after midnight. So, I mean, they're full days, no doubt. Um, but ideally, you would be getting better gigs, making more money and playing a little bit less shows. And uh, survive in that way, right? Because we love touring and we love playing music, of course. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. Um, but there's got to you got to find a balance there, of course. And especially when I I just love the music community here so much and uh, my home here, and I love to uh, be able to invest some time into this, the musical community that made me who I am, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I got to be the person I am today. 
So that brings us to that brings us to the river to river community records and you tying back into the community here. Mm-hmm. Where did river to river community records come from? How did that start for you? Well, uh, having a record label for the just kind of amazingly diverse and talented musical community here has always been a dream of mine. It's something I've always wanted to do. And for a long time, I kind of figured maybe I would do it DIY punk style and just make, you know, CDRs and and uh, photocopy covers and fold them up, you know. And I always kind of considered leaning into that or doing like a tape label. But, uh, but I, I kind of wanted to go vinyl. Um, but going back a little bit, I mean, the... Uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And then the pandemic hits and uh, all of a sudden we all have a lot more free time. The touring think- industry as a whole, the music industry, oh. entertainment industry, getting large groups of people together for shows died completely yeah. for the longest period of time that it ever has. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, it was unprecedented. And so for 12 months, 18 months, you're just at home, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it came to a grinding halt. Um, the big damn band, we were on tour kind of when it all hit. I mean, we were just kind of starting to tour and and, and getting going again. And uh, at the beginning of 2020, we always kind of start off the spring with a pretty healthy tour. And at the beginning of March, we started to hear about this thing. And uh, we got real worried when we were in, uh, we were doing a show in Austin and our Uber driver told us that South by Southwest had been canceled. And we're like, oh, wow, this is for real then. Being one of the biggest music fests in the country, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, we played that show and then like a couple other shows before we just went home and backed it in. And we thought, oh, well, we'll get back to it in a month or so, a couple months. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll float until then. But and then it was a couple years later before we got to tour in full time. You know, we stayed afloat by doing like online streaming things, and we set up a Patreon for the Big Damn Band where we could do exclusive kind of online content, and people could support us there. But yes, I had a lot more time at home, um, a lot more time to hang out and fish, which was nice. But uh, and a lot more time too. Think about what uh, what I could do for this for for this music community here, and especially when October 2020, I did a uh, a good chunk of the River to River Trail, which is something I've always wanted to do, but just haven't had time in the last many years, right? So in October, I started at the Mississippi River and uh, hiked all the way to my house, which is pretty much south of Heron a little ways over there on 148. So it was a 60-mile trail, and I did it in about eight days. But um, during that hike, I had a lot of time to myself to think about um, what I could do. And maybe that's, you know, that's a lot of why it's called River to River Community Records, but also because I want to cover the whole region here from river to river. So when I was on that hike, I had the idea, well, 
the community here has always been so supportive of one another and is rooted in that DIY sort of ethos that I, I knew that a community funded record label would work. I knew that people in this community would want to see something like this happen. So I came up with the idea to set up a Patreon sort of online sustaining crowdfunding um, campaign to raise money uh, for this record label. And the goal was if I can get that Patreon account to 500 bucks a month, then we'd launch this label, releasing seven-inch vinyl records for musicians that come from Southern Illinois. And it got there pretty quick. Got to $500 pretty quick. And uh, so I was, I was psyched that this was going to happen. You know, this is finally going to happen. And the Patreon thing, I mean, I had kind of uh, figured that all out by setting up the one for the big damn band mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit. So I, I knew all the ins and outs of running this Patreon campaign. And I knew I could do it for R2R. And yeah, the first release was Banjo Joe um, of the Whistle Pigs. And Banjo Joe, I knew, would be just the perfect kind of debut record on the label because he had had kind of a hiatus of his own. And I know a lot of people had been kind of wondering, what's up with Banjo Joe? When's he going to make some more music? He had played with the Whistle Pigs for a lot of years, but um, kind of took a break for some years and was figuring out his his own stuff, and uh, I, I, I knew that he had some songs he was working on. I also knew that he had hiked a lot of the River to River Trail and had an appreciation for the natural beauty that we have here as well as the musical beauty that we have here. And so he agreed, and he was the first uh, seven-inch record that we put out. It was three songs by Banjo Joe, just solo Banjo Joe. And... Uh, so that came out June, I guess that was June 18th of last year. So I guess that would be the launch of the label. So we've been going for a little over a year now. Wow. Mm-hmm. And this is, I've had a theory from the beginning of the pandemic, not the beginning. After we realized it wasn't going to be two weeks to flatten the curve, and that it was going to be an extended downtime and once as artists we were all at home for an extended period of time I started I started thinking about all the arts that were going to come out of it mm-hmm. thinking about the renaissance and how that came out of the black plague right um, so the renaissance being a rebirth of the arts is exactly what I was looking forward to coming out of the pandemic was all of these artists that are typically touring, that are doing public work, all of a sudden are going to be at home for a while. Absolutely. And I can't think of anything that they're going to do other than make art during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, as dark as it was. It was a pretty inspiring time. Um, and yeah, I mean, as artists, you got nothing to do but sit around and make art. So I thought the same thing. You know, I was like, well, when this is over... And there will be an artistic boom of sorts that happens. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't happen quite like I expected, just because 
it wasn't like it wasn't like just one day we were all like, okay, it's done, it's over, here we go. Now we can start playing music again. It has just been sort of back and forth. It's like, okay, it's open again, but it's closed again, but there's these restrictions. We can do this, but it's limited capacity. And so it's just been it's been kind of kind of tough because there definitely wasn't just it wasn't like flipping a switch and it's like, okay, now it's time to begin again, you know. It's been a little tricky to navigate. But that that definitely is true. That definitely is true. And uh, I feel like the underground stuff, the punk music, the noise, and the experimental, actually, I think, lost momentum even a little more than the maybe commercial genres, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's it's because the venues where those places where those where those bands can perform they're like just now starting to have shows again and some of them are still kind of uh kind of iffy about it whereas you know the venues that make money they opened up as soon as they could cuz they had to cuz they had to pay the bills and they had to um get going again but but someone's basement doesn't have that bottom line that they're looking out for. Exactly. No, they just want to do what's best for yeah, for their friends, you know. Yeah. Um which is make sure they don't get sick. So it's I feel like that that DIY stuff is is just starting to kind of catch up. But it's happening. There's a new uh punk house that just opened up in Carbondale, the Oogle House, it's starting to do shows. Lost Cross is doing shows again, um, and uh, yeah, of course the clubs around here are are doing music frequently now, and and yeah, there's been a lot of people that have made amazing music during those couple of years off, and uh, I'm hoping to release a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> and so you you started with Banjo Joe's your first right. album release um, with that seven, and how did you land on doing a seven inch vinyl? Um, well, it was mostly because a seven inch is a lot cheaper to produce than a 12 inch. And, um, and I knew I wanted to do vinyl because I just, I love vinyl. I knew I didn't want to do CDs because CDs are honestly a dying format. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, it's hard to even find a CD player anymore. There ain't a CD player in your car or in your computer. So, you know, I wasn't going to do CDs Tapes are a cool analog format, but just it's even seem, harder to find a player. Yeah, they're yeah exactly, and they're just kind of a pain in the butt more than anything. So I knew I wanted to do vinyl, and the, and if I did a seven inch, I could they're a little cheaper to produce, and I figured I could get a little quicker turnaround too. Instead of committing to an entire album, um, I could get these artists to just give me two, three, four songs that we can put on a vinyl record, get that done, and then go on to the next thing, you know, to try to just keep the ball rolling, you know. And so a seven-inch, a lot of people think that it's just two songs, but really you can fit about seven minutes or something per side. So with a lot of these records, I've been getting four songs on a seven-inch, which is pretty decent for a physical format analog physical format like that um so i do want to do full uh lps eventually um that's definitely in the plans but uh 
yeah, for now we've just been doing the EPs. And I, I think they've been going great. We we had um, Carve uh, come on the show and uh, also provide the soundtrack for a few weeks for our show as well. Uh, and and one thing that I loved as part of our conversation was from Kevin's perspective was that he had a number of songs that he could put on the album, but finding the combination of songs that were the right length to combine for each side and to make sense as a complete album within four songs mm-hmm. was a unique challenge all itself within the within the creative landscape of crafting an album. Sure, sure. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, you and Kevin did a wonderful job with crafting that album because it really has... Uh, a flow to it um, through all four tracks. Absolutely, yeah. And he, I mean, he's a true artist, so of course he considered all of that, and it does have an almost cinematic feel to it, you know, when you play it from front to back. Um, and yeah, that's that's true, that's true. It, it's when you uh, sort of limit the size of the canvas, you know, it it, it forces the artist to think about it in a different way, in a more creative way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're just doing a digital release, there is no, there is no edge of the canvas. It can be as long as you want. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes that can be overwhelming or you don't know what to do or where to stop. But, uh, yeah, that, that's an, an interesting perspective that I, I didn't really focus on when I thought about doing seven inches, but it is, it is a, a well, cool I'm- aspect. I was talking to Vincent Secretario recently of Wingtips, um, and we were talking about with the digital format, a lot of people are, they'll record a bunch of stuff for an album and not really edit that much out because it's all going digital. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting albums with 18, 19 tracks on them. Yeah. That, you know, in, in, previous times would be a double or triple album yeah just to get it onto the physical format but now they're just doing it as this giant digital dump in under the heading of an album mm-hmm. that they don't have that limitation anymore yeah sure which is which is uh you know it's a it's an amazing time to be a musician because of that but the digital world and the digital music, the DSPs, the streaming services and all that has, it's just a, it, it's the new way to listen to music and it has completely changed the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the certainly monetization of it is not advantageous for the artists in any way. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, it, uh, it can be, but usually isn't, right? Only for the biggest artists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to have a lot of, a lot of listens and a lot of followers. Um, and the problem is those big artists, they've signed to some major record deal where they only get 15% of the royalties or something anyway. But um, also this thing has happened where now a single gets basically as much attention as an entire record because it's all about the attention you can get from that that one drop, 
mm-hmm. right? So you drop a whole record, the labels, like the big labels, consider that as almost a a, a waste of uh, of a post, I mm-hmm. guess, to simplify it. Because you're putting all the effort into promotion and marketing and you're going to do all of those 12 songs at once, well, you could split it up and just do singles and keep dropping singles. And this is what a lot of the bands are doing. A lot of the big um, kind of, I don't know, digital artists who are who kind of came up on Spotify and got found on there, they just drop singles after single because that's how you stay in the algorithm and stay relevant on the platform because every time you drop one song, um, you can only get one song in the playlists and stuff, not the whole record. So it's uh, it's strange that the the album, the format of an album, is almost becoming like obsolete in the in the music marketing kind of realm, which is crazy. Well, in the old the old practice of sitting there and listening to an album and reading through the liner notes while you do it and. Mm-hmm. And, and delving into everything that the artist wants you to know about it yeah is gone by the wayside as well yep yep yeah it's kind of it's it's kind of sad you know it's music has become a more passive thing you know it's background stuff you put on while you're studying or while you're working or whatever and that's why I love vinyl because vinyl you got to commit some attention to it you got to get that thing out and put it on there and you got to flip it over when it's halfway through and and then yeah you got that thing in your hand where you can read all the notes and all the credits and uh, appreciate the art and everything else so i i mean i kind of considered that when i was thinking about doing 7 inches too because i was like well 7 inch um like i said it's less songs so you can kind of move on to the next thing a little a little sooner and it's uh so it fits the attention span of today's age a little bit better. Exactly. So it's kind of that that happy medium. It's still analog, and it's still a tangible physical thing, but maybe catering to, yeah, the short attention span of the internet age <laughs> a little bit too. So you started with Banjo Joe. Mm-hmm. Where did you go from there with the artists that you're working with in, um, in River to River Community yeah. Records? Well, first was Banjo Joe, and then... Uh, and then I had talked to Kevin about doing the Carve record, um, but uh, he was a little ways off from having his his record uh, mastered and ready to go. When I talked to him, he was still in the recording process, still like finishing up recording and mixing of those four songs. Um, so the second record I put out was actually just my own stuff, um, Sad Max Centenny record, just two songs, one on each side. Um, one song I recorded at my house, my home studio there, um, and Eva Joy, my partner, Angie Fisher is singing on one song. And, uh, I got Dakota Holden playing pedal steel on that one. Uh, it's called Rise of the Pillow Queen. The other song is Persuasion of Truth that I recorded here in Marion at Union Street Arts, um, which was fun. I did a session with, uh, Luke and Reese over there where they... They filmed the whole recording session. They wanted wanted to have me come in there to help sort of showcase their new studio that they had just set up. So they had the idea. In fact, they approached me about coming in there to record a song 
where they would also video the entire recording session and kind of edit it together to make a music video. I was like, well, yeah, that sounds great. And we did that, and it turned out so good that I wanted to put it on the B side of that 7-inch record. So, yeah, the second one was was my own stuff, kind of just so I could have something going while we're getting Kevin's stuff together and still have another record coming out. And uh, So it was that, and then Kevin, the car of record, uh, which, uh, I mean, as soon as I started the label, I knew that he was going to be somebody I wanted to work with. He is just a staple of the music scene around here. He has collaborated with just about everybody and is a musical genius. He really is. And that really shows in the album, too. It's, yeah. Um, the way that some of the songs start with an ethereal, like, just an emotive noise mm-hmm. and, and background sounds that then blend into the tone of the album. And Yeah. And that's the thing about Kevin is he's not just, like, he's not one of these uh, real sort of stiff kind of scholarly music uh, people. He's an artist as well. He's a very good musician, but also puts it in the context of art, you know, Mm -hmm. um, masterfully. So I was honored to put out his record, and it just turned out so great. Um, And then uh, that pretty much brings us to today. And the next record is going to be The People versus Hugh Deneal, which uh, Hugh, of course, is known for the Woodbox Gang, and they, uh, you know, put out a bunch of amazing records since 2001, I think, was their first album, somewhere around there. And uh, and Hugh is just maybe my favorite songwriter. I love his stuff. He has such a kind of... Uh, kind of dark but also humorous way of of approaching just very poignant sort of social topics and uh and so i i am super excited to get this record out so that's the next project coming yep and it'll be out at the beginning of next month it's awesome. coming right up yeah awesome so we're uh kind of finalizing everything right now um and uh getting the release show booked. Um, a lot of this stuff is like not quite official yet, so I don't want to announce anything, but um, we will be announcing all that stuff here very, very soon. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out even. <laughs> so, and that'll come out on the uh, River to River Community Records page. Yeah. Yep, of course. And we'll tag that in the post in the details here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really looking forward to that. We're looking forward to what comes from that. Yeah, that's uh, great. The record's called Ope. Um, kind of the uh the Midwestern sort of uh sort of, you know, word that we all use but can hardly explain, you know, Ope. But it's just a uh it's a it's a brilliant record that is very much kind of about the last couple of years that we've gone through, you know. Um, that everybody needs to hear this thing. Yeah, it's it's excellent. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Four songs on that one. And uh, it was recorded at Misunder Studio over there in uh, Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. With Mike Lasilius. That's right. There. Yeah. Yep. He does great work. Um, we have a live performance video that's going to be coming out soon uh, that was filmed there in the studio of uh, a couple of those songs. 
not actually from the studio session where they recorded the record, but a different live session we did there at the studio, and that's going to be really cool, which was filmed and edited by uh, Charlie Queen and Moonfield Creative. Um, yeah, so that's that's it's it's exciting stuff. Can't that's wait. That's very cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, and how often do you plan on having releases with the with the label? Um, I mean. As, as often as I can, essentially, you know, <laughs> as soon as the coffers get high enough to, to spend money to put out another record, I'm going to do it. Um, so we're still getting donations on the Patreon. They've, they've dropped off a little bit since we started, but we're still making some money there. And with the merch that we sell and the records we sell, we're able to, uh, to make enough funds to put out more music, you know, so that's the idea. But the, I mean, the more support we get, on Patreon and donations and the more people buy our records and stuff, the more, uh, the more we can do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not taking a salary on this or anything. I mean, a hundred percent of the money that is made by donations or otherwise is going back into, into putting out vinyls for local Southern Illinois artists. That's right. That's That's incredible. So yeah, we got the Hugh one and then, uh, Casey Lee Rogers record, um, is coming out. That'll probably be November. Um, and that'll be it for 2022. And Casey, Casey did, uh, a handful of, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, as you know, we did our, uh, our virtual series here and Casey did a lot of our songwriting nights during that. Oh, great. Um, uh, and we loved having him as part of that. And, um, and honestly, that was so rewarding for, us here at the Civic Center to be able to tap into the local community and help try to support the local community mm-hmm. uh, in that in the local music community in that way by trying to keep things going and keep things moving and sure and, and get some of their music out there to people that might not have seen it before. Absolutely, and that's the thing. I feel like uh, a lot of people in this region don't necessarily understand how much amazing music is made here. You know. And a lot of it is, like I said, because it was a lot, a lot of it has been underground for mm-hmm. so long. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that's kind of special about the music scene here. Um, but I want to do what I can to expose it and make sure that people are uh, listening locally, right? You try to eat local, you might as well try to listen local, too, because we've got all kinds of great music that is made right here. Um, Casey is a perfect example and also just one of these versatile musicians who, um, who also like he plays in Buzzard, which is some awesome, like just stoner rock kind of punk metal stuff that, uh, will really get your head swinging, but he's also just such a good kind of honky tonk country songwriter. Yeah. And that's what, that's the majority of what we saw from him was his, his songwriting, Mm -hmm. um, because he was mainly featured on the songwriters' nights, and sure, and uh, and it was it was just really cool getting to experience that. Yeah, he's wonderful. The record we're doing with him is just two songs. It'll be one per per side, and it's uh, a couple songs that he did down. He recorded in Nashville, and they were produced by a fella named uh, uh, Daniel Donato, who is a, a Telly telecaster slinger down in nashville and just a fantastic 
producer and musician himself. And he and Casey have got to be buddies somehow. And uh, so Daniel Donato produced his record with his band, kind of backing up Casey on a couple of his songs. And uh, it turned out fantastic. Um, yep, so just two songs. But, you know, we're trying to figure out if we can... I might be recording another one of his that's just going to be like an acoustic song that we can kind of drop to to sort of uh, supplement that that physical release because it's kind of nice to have something out there to establish the Spotify profiles and all mm-hmm. that stuff before you drop the record, you know, so maybe a little extra coming too. But that sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for telling us about this. Of course. Um, it's a fantastic service to the music community in Southern Illinois. Uh, and it's, it sounds like it's an incredibly cool and exhausting hobby (laughs) to to do on top of your 200 tour dates every year or travel dates, uh, touring that, uh, that whenever you're home, you're able to dive into this and, and really give back in this way. It's really awesome. Well, thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And we'll link to uh, your website and to your Facebook page in the notes in the description. So take a look at that. Get to know his releases. You can order albums from there as well as some cool merch. Um, They've got some great stickers and T-shirts and tank tops on the site as well. So thanks for joining us today, Max. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center, featuring local artists, artisans, musicians, arts organizations, and arts events in Southern Illinois, as well as touring artists coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Special thanks to Max Centeni for his time speaking with us today. And a special thank you to Wingtips for providing this episode's soundtrack. Join us every Thursday morning for a new episode on Facebook, YouTube, or whatever audio podcast service you prefer. And now for Fallback by Wingtips in its entirety.